Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. in Luke chapter 16 in the New Testament. And the last time the message was titled The Loving and Gracious Father. And this is kind of neat if I talk about my last two sermons uh, out of Luke, uh, Pastor Paul sandwiched in between, and even the women's devotion. If we look at the last four teachings, they were really all about the love of God, which is really primary. It's foundational to everything we understand But the blessing, too, with biblical teaching is that we're going to sometimes not only be encouraged, but sometimes we'll go through the scripture, we'll be convicted, or we'll say, gee, you know, maybe I can improve on that, because God wants us to change for the better. He's always, we're a work in progress. So today the message is titled, Properly or Sloppily Serving God, right? And uh, it's another one of Christ's uh, famous parables, love those parables, This one's very in-depth. There's a lot of interesting symbolism to it. Uh, But basically, it talks about how we use resources in this life, earthly resources, to prepare or better prepare for eternity. So he uses an example that everybody would have known back then, and then he makes a spiritual parallel. It's also a warning against uh, selfish materialism uh, while we're on this side of eternity, and we're going to see this in six parts. So jumping in, verse 1, he, Jesus, also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods, wasting the rich man's goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. So one out of six is busted. Certainly goes with the skit, right? Uh, But Jesus was speaking to the disciples. However, we're going to find out later that in in the crowds was a variety of people mixed in. Some were political people, some were religious people, some were just the common person, the everyday person, the farmer, etc. So uh, Jesus has usually a mixed audience. Now, and I love to do this, is go back to the culture at the time. So we can read this and not fully understand what's going on unless we go back 2,000 years across the seas and say, so what was happening back then so I can understand this parable a little bit better? Very easy for the people he was speaking to to understand because they lived in that culture. But for us, we have to you know, go back and build a little bit of a foundation. So that's what I intend to do. So the rich man or the Lord, small l, was the, usually an owner of a large estate. He was wealthy. Uh, he had hired servants. He had livestock, you know, gardening, farming. I mean, he pretty much had it all because he was a wealthy person. What he would do is he would hire a steward. I love to go back into the Greek. It's a compound word. And the word for steward is oikonomos, oikonomos, which literally means home regulator. So this was a property manager, but he had a lot of roles, right? He would take care of the the hired servants, you know, get them paid. He would take care of the rich man's finances. He would take care of the land um, so that 
you know, this delegation of authority. So this guy had a lot of uh, stake in the estate. And sometimes if they did wrong, that their boss would never find out. But in this case, he does find out. Uh, so he's exposed, and he has to give an account for what he's doing with the rich man's possessions. So that sets the stage. Now, this Jesus doesn't tell a parable because he's got nothing better to do for three and a half years and sit on a stump and tell stories. Jesus would would use these parables so that he could convey a spiritual truth, not only to the people back then, but for us today, and as long as it's going to take until the Lord returns. So spiritually, every person that's ever lived, will ever live, will give an account for what they did with their lives and their resources in God's creation. In Revelation 20, before God recreates everything, the Bible tells us that, that books are opened. Interesting. The book of life. We know that, right, as Christians. Oh, yeah, the book of life. If I'm a believer in Christ, my name is in the book of life. But we're told in Revelation that multiple books are open. I'm going to guess that next to each, in, in if I don't know if it's alphabetical order, birth order, I don't know how the Lord does it, but he's got some incredible ledgers. And my name is up there, and one day he'll turn to the page and, you know, he'll share with me what happened in my life when I received the Lord, uh, that my sins are forgiven, and, and that's open to everyone. Uh, but he will also chronicle, right, and it'll be expressed publicly how every person lived their lives while this side of eternity. And we're going to get deeper into that. Verse 3, Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, that they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. Interesting. So two is the plan. And that's short for the plan of the next phase of life. So the steward realizes, I'm going to be unemployed. And there wasn't the safeguards back in those days that there are today. He's going to be unemployed. He's going to be out on the street. So he's thinking within himself, what are my options, right? Well, there's some things he absolutely doesn't want to do. And there's things that he feels he's unqualified to do. But the dude is shrewd, okay? So he calls all the debtors of the rich man and settles the debts for a bargain, right? It's a bargain. Why? So when he's fired, those debtors that he gave a discount to will, when, when this guy is uh, now unemployed, that he can go to them and say, hey, you remember I gave you a good discount? Hey, no. It just stands to reason that I, I need some work. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, let's put your resume in. My old economics background is kind of coming back to me. But it's, it, I had fun with this parable because I understand the economic structure. But what's most important is the spiritual structure, which we're going to get to. Okay? So he, again, these are all worldly people. The rich man, the steward, the debtors. Remember, the observation is on the worldly 
dealings, not virtue. That's very important. And sometimes when Christians read this, they say, why would Jesus use an example from the world where people are corrupt? Because he's making a parallel. He's not saying any of them were good. There's no virtue here. He's strictly speaking about what the dealings are in the world. And we can say the same thing today. If you're a born-again believer, you know what God's economy looks like, literally. Uh, But you also know how the world operates unless you live in a bubble. And you can make those comparisons. Now, important, the plan for the next phase of life. The focus is on that next phase. And folks, today, we all are going to go to another phase of life, right? Could be tomorrow, could be 10 years from now. It could be, you could get another 30, 40 years in this world. But the bottom line is, we will all face God in eternity. And the question is, are we prepared? Are we prepared? Verse 8, continuing on. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of light are more shrewd in their generation. I'm sorry, for the sons of the world, very important. Sons of the world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, or money, or a medium of exchange, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Who will give you what is your own? So three is the crossover. This is where the parable ends and the application starts. Right? It starts to get really interesting and important from here. The rich man commends the steward. You wonder why. Right? Didn't, didn't the guy waste his money? Isn't he firing him? Why would he commend the steward? Well, because the steward was shrewd. And the rich man is also a worldly guy. So he's a little impressed by that. Right? Um, I don't want to read too much into the too much conjecture into this, but you know, was the rich man impressed that he went from failure to productivity? Uh, did he get debts collected that might have been lingering for a while? But the main point is he was impressed by this man's shrewdness. He's on short notice. There's an investigation, and then he finds out. Oh, I got this wheat. I got this oil. Hey, who did that? Oh, the steward that you're firing. Oh, that's interesting. So Jesus in verse 8 expresses a truth that the worldly or the unsaved are more wise in their worldly dealings than believers can be with God-given resources. That's powerful. Because this is a prophecy to me. 2,000 years of the church, church history. Jesus said this before church history. But I can tell you as a pastor, I've seen this firsthand. I've seen where a very accomplished believer knows what to get what they want in the world, but they can be very sloppy or lazy in the things of God. Listen, we just covered four teachings on the love of God, so now comes the conviction. (laughs) And that's good biblical teaching. You're going to take the encouraging, the sweet from God's Word. You're also going to take the bitter because they both go together, right? Um, I've actually had to ask some people to step down from even volunteering. And people say, well, you know, don't, aren't churches desperate for volunteers? 
yes and no. No if they're a bad witness, you know? And sometimes I've had to say to people, you're not serving me. You're not serving this church. You're serving God with your time that you're volunteering. And, you know, you will do anything to... I'm trying to think, I'm thinking of the right word. I can't think of a good words, phrase, but to just make your boss like you, to get the promotion, to get the degree, your teachers, your professors. But when you do the things for God, you just do an awful job. And that's shameful. Shameful. In the church or at a food kitchen or, you know, distribution, there should be a greater passion and desire because these things will carry us into eternity. Listen, as a pastor, I don't mind saying this. It's just how we roll at this church. If a person's going to be a bad witness, if someone's coming into this church and they want to hear and learn about God and the person is not doing the right thing, then do something else. Go find something else to do. Um, and it's just the way it is, right? How do we serve God? Right? Jesus is not telling us to be crafty or dishonest. He's just making a parable. I'll go on to say this as well, is that even the cults, if you follow some of these cults, and it's sad. The weird thing about people who are in a cult is everybody around them knows that they're in a cult except for them. But you'll see them, and I've seen them, their diligence in what they do with their spare time, their volunteering, the seriousness that they um, put into the false teaching. That there's no salvation application. And then others who are Bible-believing Christians are lazy. So, I mean, this is just, listen, a lot of discussion comes up from time to time. The idea is that we use the resources in this world to further the kingdom of God instead of using it to be selfish, lazy, or materialistic here, which is just temporary. Now, when I talk about the resources of the world... What, what can we talk about? Of course, money. Money is just a medium of exchange. Time, passion, talent. Now let me throw this into the mix. When we become born-again believers, God endows us with spiritual gifts. Somebody could be a believer for 10 years. They don't even know what their spiritual gift is. They've never explored it because they've never put it in their mind to, to serve the Lord, to please Him. Right. So these are those resources that we're talking about. Let's just say this. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness. The earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness. I bought a house five years ago. When I go to pay my taxes, I put the block and lot number. It's mine. No, it's not. It's the Lord's. Because everything that was used, the land to build it and stuff, I have pet, uh, we save animals, right? They're mine. No, they're not. They're the Lord's. He created them. I don't own anything. And the sooner we understand that, that it's the, the Lord's and all of its fullness, we'll do a much better job in our witness of using these earthly resources to bring people closer to salvation. Amen? Amen. Verse 9. These next few verses, 9 through 12, are a little... So when you go from Greek to English, it's a little choppy. But And I, I went over it a few times. I went into my Greek lexicon and, you know... Just I went into a lot of effort here, but verse 9, it seems to say that um, when you translated it, that make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon or money or whatever you use to your resources, that when you fail or that when you die, they may receive you into an everlasting home. I love this because this 
kind of gives the impression that when you use the world's resources at your disposal and you win people to salvation, hey, it's quite possible one day when we get into the kingdom, the Lord says, hey, look, you see those people over there? Yeah, but I don't recognize them. You did things to get them here, right? You did things. You loved them. You donated to uh, some overseas ministry. I don't know these people. I don't know their culture. I've never met them before. It doesn't matter. You did something to support somebody or something that preached the gospel to people that you couldn't ordinarily reach. It's pretty amazing. So you may be welcomed by more than just the Lord and the angels. You may be welcomed by people that you unwittingly helped to bring closer to the kingdom. You know, I'm the type of guy that I, I've said this so many times. I love talking to strangers. I love witnessing to people. I love giving my time to build bridges. And I don't always see, actually, it's very rare that I see somebody go, oh, I'm ready to receive Jesus right now. Happens sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. However, just like me, right, when I became a Christian, I actually went back to one particular person who would preach to me and the young guys at work um, when I worked in East Brunswick, and uh, he had passed on. So he didn't get to see the fruit of his labor with me. But one day, I'm gonna, I'm a, if the Lord's okay with it, I'm going to look for him. <laughs> and I'm going to say thank you, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but it took, because I was hard, hard-headed, which might not surprise a lot of you, uh, but it did took several, took several people over a period of years before I finally got it and the light bulb went off. But we don't know. Where are we in the food chain? You know, where are we in that assembly line to the point where, you know, sometimes I'll, somebody will come up to receive Jesus. I don't even take credit for that because there could have been a bunch of people over the last 10 years that witnessed to this person and today was the day that they were ripe for the picking. But I had nothing to do with the fertilization and the growth of the fruit. So let's just talk about real terms here. It's pretty, I think it's, I, I think that's going to be one of the coolest things. How is God going to orchestrate all this? That's why he's God, right? But, you know, we may be surprised who we run into up there and maybe smirk and think, I, I never thought you would come to Christ. I'm sure some people said that about me. <laughs> so uh, continuing on, verses 10 through 12 to be faithful and unjust, unjust in the little, it's the same in much. So um, going back to the skit, uh, some people start out in life with petty crimes, right? Uh, this is my old profession, law enforcement. And uh, sadly, with the wrong people that they get in contact with, that's, that rap sheet of petty crimes becomes more serious crimes and then deadly crimes. And you, you see the progression of unfaithfulness in small things that become leviathans they become monsters but by the same token by the same token that those who were faithful in little things right as time goes on they'll maybe their employer so we're going to make a lot of applications here and i'm going to keep crossing over we're going to talk about the temporal world we're going to talk about the spiritual world we're going to talk about individuality and us being faithful as individuals with resources we're going to talk about the collective, right? The body of believers collectively. How does it look? Jesus talked about the sons of light or daughters of light, sons and daughters of light. So collectively, we're going to talk about the saved. We're going to talk about the unsaved. So faithful in the little, faithful in the much, right? In God's economy, in God's economy, 
uh, he'll give us greater responsibilities with the true riches. And the true riches are not the 401ks or the, you know, the stocks or whatever. And listen, I'm fine with people who do that. They're securing, you know, a retirement, right? But are you also securing an, an eternal retirement? And this, that's really most important in the world. And you know, Jesus even says that the riches here, moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, right? Um, I, I don't know anybody personally, but it's some people have had retirements and stuff. Remember FTX, the uh, crypto collapse, right? Now there was another bank that just collapsed. Was it SVB? Do I have the number, the letters right? Like, Where do I put my money? Is there going to be anything left for me in 10 years? This world is unpredictable. And every few years we're seeing it becoming more unpredictable. But what Jesus is saying is that eternal riches, they last forever. There's not going to be a collapse. There's not going to be an embezzlement. There's not going to be the feds taking somebody out. God is running that, that plan. And that plan is the best plan. Right? So listen, we should take care of ourselves here to an extent, not get crazy about it. But we also need to think about, more importantly, is where we're going to spend eternity. Um, and what are those true riches? Jesus doesn't tell us everything. Uh, but could be some position in the millennial kingdom. I don't know. I've put my, my request in somewhere on the Mediterranean. I, you know, the weather, the food. <laughs> so if he, you know, some, um, a little mayor position somewhere. But I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, eternal rewards. We see this in 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, I even think about, you know, when I first got saved, I wanted to do something. I didn't know what to do. So my wife and I actually served in the children's ministry for a while at the other church we were at, and that was cool. And then we, you know, six months or so, a year goes by, and then I signed up to usher. So then I was ushering. I didn't know what I was doing. I just wanted to do something, right, to serve the Lord. Um, then I did something else, and who knows? I didn't know I was going to become a pastor. But now I can draw on that experience, right? So faithful in the little. And have I been unfaithful in the little? Of course, we all make mistakes. But you'll see this progression in your life that the Lord will do with you. Just be faithful in little things. Don't bite off more than you can chew. And he will, he'll trust you with much. So I, I, I think heaven's going to be really exciting. Here's another thing. As church organizations, if you attended a church that you found out was poorly managing money, there was always some money issue. They always needed money. Uh, they spent money. And, and some churches go through this. Would you feel comfortable writing a check? Would you tithe? If you went to a church and, you know, there was always these scandals, these some type of people, personnel scandals, you know, would you feel comfortable bringing your family to that church? Right? So even as an organization, churches have to be faithful in the little and then faithful in much. By the way, if you do tithe to this church... By law, and also we do it freely, you can, you can look at our books anytime you want. We'll show you what we do. There's nothing to hide. Like always bring things out into the light. So um, individually, are we using resources selfishly and never using them to further God's message of, uh, God's message of salvation, people getting closer to God? The Matthew 25 principle, helping others in need when you can help others in need. Even James says, you know, what good is it if you, somebody's hungry and, and they're, they have no clothes and you just say, oh, you know, be warm and, and well-fed and they walk past them. But you have the ability to help them. So there's the James principle, which is married to the Matthew 25 principle. And Jesus said, 
All these people are going to get into heaven and Jesus is going to say, you know, you visited me in prison, you clothed me, you fed me, you gave me a drink of water. And they're going to go, Jesus, when did we see you hungry, naked in prison? And Jesus said, if you've done this to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. So there's a, a substitution pr principle, so to speak. So pretty neat stuff. I mean, I can tell you a lot of what the Bible says, but there's things I just don't know, right? We'll, we'll see it when we get there. So um, looking at believers and unbelievers, we'll give an account for what they do here. Uh, unbelievers, the books will be opened at the great white throne judgment. But even believers in Christ will give an account. 1 Corinthians 3 speaks about that. Now, in verse 15 in 1 Corinthians 3, is very interesting because it says, if anyone's work is burned, what we did on this side of eternity, it's burned up. Uh, motives were poor. You did it for attention, whatever, whatever the things are. Uh, you did it to, to get a leg up or to get closer to other people. You, we know what's right and wrong. He said, even if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through the fire. So some will be ashamed of being, listen, if you're a brand new Christian, don't panic because it is a learning curve to understand how to grow in your faith. What are the principles of the Bible? It takes a little while to get there. So don't, don't be bothered by this. You're a brand new believer. You, you're considering Christ. Wow, you know, what, what's this on my shoulders? God doesn't burden us. But if we've been a believer for a while and we just don't do anything because our life is all about ourselves, we're still going to go to heaven. Jesus did die for our sins, right? John 3.16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. He tells us right here, some of those works may be burned up, but he or she themselves will be saved. So, very fair principles in the Scripture. Now, and I like to use these, these examples because they... Because, you know, well, Pastor Joe, what do you mean? What are you talking about? So last week, um, I was talking to a brother in the Lord, and... And he did it, he was talking about something else, like he didn't do it to brag at all, but he was talking about when he went to uh, an eatery and he gave the staff money and he said, the next person that comes in, pay for their meal. And they kind of looked at him funny. You know, we live in such a time where there's a lot of selfishness and uh, there's a lot of uh, isolationism that sometimes as a Christian, when you do that, people are like, I've never seen that before, Right. Uh, like, nobody does that. Why would you do that? What, you're even trusting us. You don't even know us. But that is a way to open a door, right? Um, my wife and I don't go out to eat often, but she, any, every time we go out to eat, I'll take my wallet out. You know, I'll always talk to the wait staff, make small talk with them, build a bridge, and then I'll take out my scripture card. And she says this all the time. She goes, I hope you're giving them a good tip. <laughs> you know, oh, here's 50 cents. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. You know, if you're, going to use, if you're going to use the earth's resources, use it wisely. If you're going to share Christ, do it in a way where you're... You have to remember this. So let me say this in a good way. When we use the world's resources, it's not going to sound good, but it is good. It's bait. It's bait. When you go fishing, whatever fish you're looking to get, you change the bait. So what we're using, the earth's resources is the bait to hook a person to get them closer to God. Salvation. Not for them to pay us back. 
not for them to do us a favor. That's how the world works. But we use that spiritual or that, that unrighteous mammon, that earthly bait, to catch people to bring them closer to the kingdom. Because actually, um, was it Casting Crowns, that uh, Christian group? I love, uh, I love their videos, their, their kind of music videos, because they tell a story. And one was a, a woman who was a waitress, and all these Christians went out to eat, right? And they, they give her like nothing for a tip. And she's struggling, right? You see her struggling before. Um, and they, they throw a tract, you know, a Christian tract on the table. Don't do that. You know, I, I get it. The message of salvation is so much more important and it's valuable than everything else. But a person who's in the world doesn't know that yet. And if we're helping them, helping them to get clothes or helping them to get food or something, that goes a long way in people softening up to be able to receive the things of the kingdom ultimately here i have a i have a uh, people say what's your agenda i i i must confess i have an agenda i want to see as many people get saved as possible there's my agenda i'm busted so you know this is the way it works right we use the things of the world to bring people people closer to christ um verse 13 verse 13 um it's just a lot of things in my head, sorry. I was actually recently talking to a young lady in her 20s. Um, she was staff at, at a place, and I just was sharing with her, and I had given the cards out to this. I have scripture cards. And then she, she just opened up. I'm a complete stranger. That she lost her father three years ago. And my heart went out to her. Here I am, this father figure, talking to her. Uh, and it was, to me, it just just... It wasn't like I was forcing the conversation. She engaged me in this conversation. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was, what a sweet girl. I, I just felt like there was a connection there, you know, a sort of a parental sort of connection. But I didn't know, you know, she was a stranger and had her guard up, and I was some person that, you know, didn't kind of use things to, to get in. She would have never told me that. That's a personal thing. So um, you never know what people are going to share with you. Doctor's waiting room, you know? Sometimes people just blurt out why they're there. They start crying, right? You know, you know I'm a stranger, but can, can I pray for you? They might start talking to you. You know, in America, this is a great country. I served it for 25 years, but we can be very compartmentalized in America. You go to the Middle East, you go to Africa, you go to Asia, the community's a lot closer. I think the devil has different ways to get into different countries. Here, we all want our personal space. And that's sad. You know, we, we have to get out of that mindset. Um, it's, it's an amazing thing. And I'll just be honest with you. People might say, Pastor Joe, I can't do that. I'm shy. I'm this, I'm that. When my pastor, when I was a brand new Christian, he started preaching this stuff, I actually sat there with my arms folded. I'm just being honest with you. I did all the dumb, jerky things that anybody can do. So I'm just confessing that. I sat there with my arms folded. And in my mind, I'm looking at the, who I love. He's a great mentor. But it was the beginning. So in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, you, you preach to people. You're the pastor. I'm in law enforcement. I'm not preaching to anybody. Oh, boy, did I eat those words. So <laughs> just give the Lord time. He doesn't ram it down our throats. It's a slow process. And you look back 10 years at yourself and say, I'm a different person. But you, I can't take credit. It's the Lord who takes all the credit for these things. 
Verse 13, continuing on. He says, Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So four is make a decision. Right? Jesus has his hearers draw a line. He actually draws a line in the sand for them. You can't love God and money at the same time. Right? We can look at wealth and resources in order to further the work on earth, uh, God's kingdom to the work, for the work on earth for his kingdom. Or we can love money, which is also the love of self, and self becomes a God. And Jesus said, you're either doing the one or you're doing the other, but you can't do them both at the same time. And everyone has to ask themselves, is everything I do for me, do I live a life of self-indulgence? Right? Continuing on, verse 4, I think it's, 14, I think it's explanatory. Explanatory. <clears throat> now, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, now this was the religious class at the time. And again, if you look at secular sources, they'll tell you the same thing. It was a bad time at the first century because the people had very little places to go to because if they went to the religious system, they weren't finding God. You know, these were political, economic. They were all tied in with the power structure. They loved money. They loved their cushy lifestyles. So the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. They derided Jesus. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Let me just read 18, and then I'll go back to 16 and 17, and there's a reason for that. He says, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. So let's unpack this because you're like, wow, that came out of left field. We're going to talk about it. So five out of six is the application. The Pharisees loved money and they derided him. They had contempt for Jesus. You know, when we get, um, even as Christians, non-Christians, when somebody exposes something we're doing that's wrong, there's two choices. We can justify ourselves, defend ourselves, attack the person who's exposing it, or we could say, you know, I need work in that area. Maybe you can help me. Happens all the time. And it's a, it's a, a quick decision that the brain makes. Am I going to act in the flesh or am I going to act in the spirit, right? So they were guilty. They loved money. So what they did was they mocked him. They had contempt for him because they didn't want to change what they were doing. And folks, the power brokers of this world, many of them are hard-hearted. They love money, power, fame. It's an intoxicating drug that can, emphasize, can keep them from salvation. It can keep them from salvation. If money is their God, their God will have control over them and not let them explore the true God, which could mean we have to make some changes. Um, even religious leaders today, some of them, they live in the lap of luxury. They have power. They're uh, embedded in with powerful world leaders. That's where they seem to spend most of their time than with the people. Um, God's not impressed by robes and titles and stuff like that. Uh, he's imp he wants to see that our hearts are right. Verse 15, Jesus said that they justify themselves before men, but God knows their hearts. And we can do that too, right? We can justify ourselves we can make ourselves look good in front of our peers and 
and such, um, family, friends. But, you know, is our heart in the right place? Verse 15 also says that what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And there you have it. Now, some will try to say that they're serving the Lord and they'll justify their lifestyle. And I I use them a lot because my friends who aren't saved always push him in my face and I say, we're not like him. And I preach against him from the pulpit. So Kevin Copeland, right? One of them televangelist guys. Some of them are good. The guy's got literally a hangar full of private jets. He's worth multiple billion dollars. And when he's questioned on it, he said, I need all these private planes to spread the gospel of Jesus. (laughs) So... Oh, okay. Um, I guess I have a car with 150000 on it. Maybe I just don't have the ability because I don't have a jet or a helicopter or some fancy machine that can get me from one place to another. So um, by that logic, that's pretty, pretty pathetic. Um, you know that missionaries in India and per- parts of Africa and other places, they're on bicycles, right? And my wife and I, she's laughing. We actually turned on the TV and there was this televangelist who basically said... And they, they talk this way. You know, if your pastor rides a bicycle, he ain't really a pastor. Your pastor needs to drive a, you know, fly a helicopter or an airplane. It's like, who listens to these people? Who sends them money? But God knows. God, he knows. In the end, he'll, I think the, the most egregious is, and I've heard this, don't take your cancer medication Take the money that you would spend on it and send it to me and God will heal you. And people have died. So um, that's disgusting. And there's been lawsuits over that. So that's what you have. Uh, In Jesus' day, they were also corrupt. They had different issues. I'm just going to touch on this, this thing with divorce and give you context. Because people read this and they get very upset. And there's two extremes when it comes to this discussion. Not only did the Pharisees love money, but tangentially connected to their love of money was the fact that they um, try to get in real close with the wealthy people. So, actually, if you read uh, Hillel the Elder, his work prior to Jesus, he really softened when when you could divorce your wife. And literally, I I, I heard the writings, and I'm like, no, that can't be true. I looked it up for myself, and basically he said that if the wife doesn't please her husband, and that could be she burns his food, she's not a good cook, he can write her a certificate of divorce. That's disgusting, okay? But that was a prevailing attitude, and it's almost many years, some of the women are like, yeah, I'm with you, Pastor Joe. Uh, Just so, yeah, it was misogynistic, right, Um, among other things. Uh, So they had these kind of little scams going, sort of, now, let's just say this uh, 1,500 years later, off by a few hundred years, is the church at the time would write indulgences. So basically, you could sin all you want. You could go to the church if you were wealthy. You could pay for the bigger sins. Give the money to the church. They'll absolve you, and then you can go, go out and sin again and then go through this cycle, which only made the church richer and people more decadent. So Jesus addresses this. Not only do you love money, but by the way, You say you respect the law of Moses? No, you don't, because that's terrible. Now, this idea of divorce, I find, and I always say that that Christianity and the truth of the Bible is is a nice 
sweet balance. So I do find the folks that um, they'll come to me and say, I had a divorce and I can't get over it. I feel terrible. I read the scripture and it's self-condemnation. Okay, an unscriptural divorce is sinful. However, it isn't a perpetual sin and it isn't the unpardonable sin. Sins are forgiven. So there's no class of people, divorced people, you know, these people, and we, we got to stop doing that. You know, they're, you know, they're really bad. No, actually, haughty Christians that repel people from coming to God, I think they're pretty bad. And you don't always see that sin. It, it, can, be, it can be very undercover. So, yes, marriage is sacred. Yes, the preaching was, yeah, don't worry about it. Just write them a certificate of divorce. So you get the ones that are uh, in condemnation, which the, I've counseled many people, don't be in condemnation. Don't be in condemnation. God doesn't want you to live in that, Romans 8. Then on the other extreme, I knew a guy who was married five times. And the last time he got married, he actually went to Nevada and got married by Elvis. So my attitude is, you're not very good at this. Leave these poor women alone, just stay single. So, so you got the one extreme where they live in condemnation when it comes to marriage and divorce. The other extreme is, eh, I'll just find another one. How do you have any money left after five divorces? <laughs> she whiz. Uh, you know, truth is stranger than fiction. Right, I'm going to get off this subject because I think we, we made our point here. Verse, so anyway, there was a contextual issue there. It doesn't seem to go with what we just read. It doesn't seem to go with the next parable, which we're going to cover next Sunday, which is very powerful, by the way. But it does go with the mindset of these religious leaders that were corrupt. And this is another way of their corruption. They broke up families with their teachings. Okay, 16 and 17, and that's where we're going to leave it. The law and the prophets were until John, John the Baptist. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. So they would say, the law of Moses, the law of Moses. Jesus is like, before I, I was here in, in human form, I co-authored the law that Moses took to you. you know, so you don't have to preach me, I know the law. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing. But six is, don't miss the bus. The religious leaders missed the bus. Now, did Jesus love the religious leaders? Of course he did. And I wonder, those religious leaders of today that rub elbows with the billionaires and the politicians and the famous people, are they doing it to get something or are they doing it because the billionaires and the politicians need the gospel too? I hope it's the latter. Because I know mayors and you know, important people in the state. I've been around. I did three presidential details um, years ago. Three presidents. I did three details. So I, I made a lot of friends and some friends in high places, and I always share the gospel. That's why some don't really want to hang out with me because they know I'm going to bring up Jesus again. But um, listen, they need salvation too, right? So the law and the prophets until John, basically, if you read Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, a major prophet buried in the Old Testament, I mean buried, embedded, better word, is that he said to the, the Jews in the Old Testament, you know what he said? In that, in those, you, you can read them. He said, "A new testament is coming." Yeah, I, listen. I have a lot of friends from different faiths and such, and I share this with my Jewish friends. You've got to read Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one through thirty-four. Come to a conclusion and act on that conclusion. You have to be looking out for this new testament or this new covenant. 
Jesus embodied the law and the prophets. He fulfilled the law and the prophets. He was a God in the flesh, walking, talking law and the prophets. He discipled, he taught, and because of this message of hope that the religious leaders couldn't give, there was a mass entrance to press into the kingdom of heaven. So if you could veil, it, to me it's like, you know, I've seen a meme where you can pull the veil of, of the physical world away and see the spiritual world. Walking through the streets, there's angels, there's demons, there's things going on we don't see. So I had imagined when Jesus said this, they might look around and go, well, we're hanging out here on the mountainside with you, Jesus. We're all these people pressing into heaven. We can't see it exactly. You can't see it. And Jesus was the master of expressing to people the things that are going on in the spiritual world that people couldn't see. He's saying, this is what's happening. And he came to the earth. He said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Jesus was like, I was there. We threw him out. You know what I'm saying? Um, and the, the disciples were like, whoa. It's like, just, just focus on God and, and salvation and stuff. But these things do exist. So the religious system, unfortunately, they lost it. Uh, we were talking about Jesus' revolution, the harvest of the 60s, the Jesus movement. And then I started doing research on it, the things I didn't know. Powerful. We talked about last uh, communion last Sunday, about the revivals that are going on today. The things in, in the Middle East that are happening and droves of people are coming to Christ. I would submit to you today, there are also souls, millions, hundreds of millions, pressing in to the kingdom of heaven. They're hearing the message of salvation. They're like, wow, I don't have to jump through hoops. It's not a religion board game. Sign me up. I want to do this. And just like that, people are trusting Christ and their lives are turning around. I got to tell you, I personally, I don't want a street name after me. I don't want to be followed by millions on social media. I want to hear from the Lord, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I want to meet people that I sat in my room and said, I've given out a thousand. My wife, my wife and I, I give out these scripture cards to everyone. I don't see a lot of fruit. Full transparency from your pastor. But I know intuitively and through the scripture that I am going to see some people that were affected. I just was one of the, the little steps in, in a long line that brought somebody to Christ. Right? That's what I want. Full disclosure. Verse 17, this reinforcement that Jesus was embodying the law and the prophets is the plan for all of humanity of the simplicity of receiving Christ and being saved. And, you know, some of you may have come from organizations where, listen, we go into complex stuff here, but the gospel's simple. Wow, Pastor Joe, that it's really that... I don't want to say easy because it wasn't easy for Jesus when he went to the cross, but it's simple. And that's why God designed a system that poor people, illiterate people could understand it. He wanted to make sure nobody was left out. So this is exciting. If there's another revival taking the place in the United States, me personally, I don't want to watch it from the sidelines because I'm self-absorbed. So going back to the original premise, the title is, Are We Properly or Are We Sloppily Serving God? How are we representing God? And again, you can see big ministries, stuff on TV, and go, what can I do? Can you be a good listener? 
Can you be a good example? Can you minister to that one person in your life, right? A person who's depressed, a person who feels they have a low self-value and worth, that you just can put that time in with them. You don't have to do big things. It's not about big. It's about consistency. It's about willingness. Are we spiritually investing our lives for the good of others and the glory of God and to gain treasures in heaven? Or is everything that we do about self and self-indulgence? You know, I always say we should pray for Hollywood, these celebrities, and I hear them. And, you know, it's, they're so self-absorbed. They're so famous. They're so wealthy. And they, they, they keep changing mates. And I'm listening to some of these people. You've got to look in the mirror, you know. You, you, your character has to change, Right? Um, and, and we're seeing that. Where's the stick to Where's the, you know, roll up your sleeves kind of thing? Well, it didn't work. I'm just going to move on. If there is another major revival coming, are we ready? And are we willing to be a part of it? I know where I want to be. Every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.